John chapter 5. This is called the dynamic heart in context. And so we talked about the fact, the last few chapters, that our hearts are corrupted, and then that our hearts can be redeemed through the work that Christ has done, both in seeing the perfect example that he set for us, and more importantly, in the function that his righteous life had in God granting righteousness to us and transforming us into the image of that righteousness through progressive change. But what about the fact that we are not disembodied spirits isolated from the world around us? We are affected by things around us, and we live in physical bodies. And both of these things play a role in our response, right and wrong, to various circumstances, They play a role in our thinking and our desires and our actions. So how does this all fit together? The dynamic heart is strongly influenced by everything that surrounds it. People respond to the hardships of life, the circumstances into which they are born, even the climate of their location. They believe certain things about themselves based on what other people say or certain incidents that happened. Even their perception of God is shaped by a number of things external to them. For instance how other people in their lives talk or do not talk about God. So just pause and think about that last one for a moment. If you grew up in a home where God was never mentioned, how does that fundamentally change your perception of the world around you? People give the illustration of two people standing at the Grand Canyon. Someone who believes in God is going to say, wow, look at what God did probably during the flood, something along those lines. Someone who has no frame of reference for God because they've never heard of Him is going to look at that, and what are some things they're going to think? Yeah. It's a mighty impressive crack in the ground, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Um, What about when it comes to something like uh, what your goals should be for your children? No concept of God. What are some goals that you might have for your children? Okay, to be rich. Maybe at the opposite extreme, to stay out of trouble, not end up in jail, something like that. You know, just like basic stuff. To be rich. Maybe. Okay, educational goals. Okay, maybe there were things that you were not able to accomplish. Maybe you were going to be uh, the next star player for the Tigers and you threw out your elbow and now you're convinced that your son is going to be that. That might be the dream that you pour into their lives. Uh, any number of um, ideas can flow out of how we were raised, the environment in which that was, all of those sorts of things. So, the primary point of this chapter is that a heart's dynamic response is profoundly shaped by surrounding conditions. Are people influenced by things or people around them? Why or why not? Or the education type question is, is it nature or is it nurture, right? Why do people turn out the way that they are? Why are some people successful? Why are some not? What do you guys think about that? Okay. 
Good? Are you saying something? Okay, same thing. All right. Uh, I mean, there's an element of it being both. If we say that it is exclusively our nature, then we fail to recognize the profound effect that our environment has on us. If we say that it's exclusively our environment, then we often tend to minimize things about how God just made us as people, right? And so either extreme would be incorrect. Uh, he gives an example here. Consider for a moment what makes people alcoholics. And we talked before, I would prefer that he use the term what makes people practice drunkenness habitually, something like that. It doesn't flow as well, but is the cause genetic? There are some people that say the cause is genetic. What is the danger of saying that the cause is exclusively genetic? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it can become an excuse and it becomes an obstacle to any hope of ever doing anything different, right? If it's exclusively, this is what I am, like, I mean, your hair color is not, I mean, if you're a lady, then it's easier for you to alter that, right? But um, if it's something fundamental about like how tall you are, there's not much you can do about that, you know, those sorts of things. And if we say that certain things the Bible calls sin are just a fundamental part of our genetic makeup, then that puts us in a very difficult spot with what the Bible says about change. And this applies to a lot more than just this one issue, right? I've had conversations with friends about some of the popular issues of sexuality, and they are convinced that this is what I am. And so I'll ask them questions like, so why has that changed over the course of your life? Well, I just discovered it. Well, what if it changed later on? Well, I would discover it's not the case. I mean, something like how tall you are is not something that goes back and forth at different points in your life. And, and so um, I realize that we can maybe figure out things about ourselves at one point differently from another. But with something like that, there is a very strong element of, of choice. Look at some of the other things. Is it developmental? And I think there have been times when Christians have erred in saying, well, it's exclusively developmental because you might have someone from what we would uh, at least at some point have considered to be a very good home. Their parents are very, very rigorous in what they expect of their kids. And then their kid goes out and ends up being an alcoholic. Well, that throws a wrench in the idea that it's exclusively developmental, right? What about whether it's social? Uh, I think our social circumstances influence us, right? What about, is it a matter of their own choices? Yes. Is it the vast multinational marketing scheme of commercial alcohol? I mean, Budweiser and Miller and all of these, they've had a pretty successful track record of making commercials that people want to watch and that are relatively persuasive, right? So, 
That has some measure of influence, perhaps. Is it the tragedy that occasioned their first bout with drunkenness? I mean, if you go through a traumatic experience in life and you turn to alcohol as a means of dealing with that trauma, then it's going to be that much easier the next time for you to keep coming back to that pattern. And the more you reinforce it, the more it becomes seemingly a part of who you are, even though it's not for sure. It says, I will attempt to handle this delicate interplay by describing what could be called a trajectory of influence. It's made up of three parts, external conditions, passive dynamic effects, and active dynamic responses. So essentially, if we drew an arrow, we would start here with external conditions, circumstances, events, etc., that affect us. The ongoing influence of those events in ways that we often don't realize. And then the thing that the Bible emphasizes, which is, and so how do we respond to that progression? So let's start with conditions. Conditions are external to the individual's determination. People, for instance, do not choose into what family they are born, what genetic characteristics they inherit, or what opportunities are available to them socioeconomically. That last one in particular is interesting because we tend to think, well, if you just work hard, you've got opportunities, right? But think about someone who's born in, you know, one of the inner city neighborhoods in Detroit. They can work as hard as they want and they probably will still not have access to the capital that will make it easy for them to start a business. Some of the opportunities that, by virtue of where we grew up and family connections and all of those sorts of things, um, that maybe helped you get your first job or helped you get a recommendation for a scholarship or to get into college, those sorts of things, those opportunities are not necessarily available to everyone in the same way. Simply by virtue of the family they were born into, the place in which they were born, and a variety of other factors. Um, and so his point is not necessarily to talk about solutions to that, but primarily to point out the fact that things like this influence us in profound ways. Think about, uh, I've observed this with, with relatives who are older who went through the Depression, or whose families went through the Depression when they were very young. What was their attitude toward saving things versus throwing them away? Yeah, right? And so, from my perspective, I might look at, you know, someone that's like a grandmother's age from my, where I am in life, and be like, you've used that Ziploc bag three times, we probably ought to get a new one. You know, that kind of thing, right? But from their perspective, they're trying to be frugal. Yeah, right. So, I mean, we have to balance, you know, hygiene with frugalness, and all. I, I, get, I get that. But, but why do I have the perspective that I have, and they have the perspective that they have? Because we grew up in two very different times. And so these things influence us in profound ways. Uh, passive dynamic effects, moving on to that, are the imprint that external conditions make on the heart's beliefs, values, and intentions. They are passive in that the external influence exerts itself onto people, shaping their perception of the world imperceptibly and often without voluntary reception. He's not arguing for a subconscious or an unconscious mind. 
he's saying that the circumstances of our lives affect us in ways that we often don't even think about. So, a child growing up in poverty, for example, will function from a different set of assumptions about the world than one born into wealth. These different assumptions are given, not voluntarily constructed. So again, um, you might... Um, let's take something simple like, like eating out, right? If you have never had to worry about money, you would view something like eating out as just like a part of life, right? If you have had to worry about money, you'll view it as a luxury. And, you know, I could, I could just as easily make it at home for a tenth of the cost and it'd be just as good if not better. You know, that sort of thinking. Again, these are just the ways that all these things influence us. And on something like that, it's not necessarily a right or a wrong. It's just how our views have been shaped by our experiences. The third part is active dynamic response. And he's got to get that word dynamic in there because that's in the title of the book, right? But he's, he's basically saying this. You make a choice in response to the circumstances of your life, the ways that that has affected you, and then the way that you act in the present moment, right? The spiritual activity of a moral agent determined by the individual to some varying degrees of awareness. I'm confronted with a circumstance. Should I go to Bob Evans for dinner? I am making a choice at that point as a moral, responsible individual before God. I have to factor in principles and truths I know from the Bible about stewardship. I have to think about where I'm at in terms of do I have enough money to do this, to care for my family, if I also make this decision. There's a bunch of things that flow into it, but in the background is also going to be all of these things that I grew up with, all of these assumptions and thoughts. The thing the Bible focuses on is not primarily all of that, but what I do in this moment. But all of this does influence what I do in this moment. As stewards of hearts created to image God's, people are culpable or responsible for their responses. Scripture addresses the heart, not the external conditions, as the direct cause of a person's response. Think about John 9, for example, and we'll probably wrap up here for today, just for sake of time. Man born blind. We see a series of characters in that story, right? Here's the man who's been born blind. How does he probably provide for himself? begging. The people knew him, so he probably was out and about. This, this guy sits in this same spot. He asks for alms regularly, you know, that sort of thing. I, I'd have to look at the story for all the details, but as I recall, it, that's what it said. How was his perception of life shaped by those circumstances? He's dependent on other people, right? For one. He doesn't necessarily expect that that's ever going to change. Think about the other major set of characters in that story other than Jesus. Pharisees. The Pharisees were not automatically rich, but they did have significant opportunities, right? They knew the law. They had positions of authority and power, all of those sorts of things. When Jesus said, believe in me, what were their two responses? First, the man born blind. What was his response to Jesus calling for belief? He believed. 
What was the Pharisee's response? Yeah, we know that you say that you're the guy who was blind that we've seen every day in the marketplace, but we think you're trying to pull one over on us. We know that this guy is not from God, so if you're saying that he's doing miracles, that means that he is from God, and so since we know that he's not, we know that you're lying to us. So think about it some more. Tell us what actually happened. What does John want us to focus on from that story, among other things, including the deity of Christ, in terms of their response? Is it the fact that the Pharisees had great opportunities and this other guy was a beggar for 40 years of his life? That's not where the story goes. The story goes, what did they do with Jesus when they saw the sign? The one who had been physically blind was spiritually seen and the ones who could physically see were spiritually blind. I think that illustrates the point of this chapter well from the perspective that this man's life had been influenced in profound ways by his circumstances, but he still, by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, makes the right choice to believe and respond in Jesus, and that's the same choice that we're called to. Rich, poor, lots of opportunities, very few opportunities. Good family, bad family, humanly speaking, whatever our backgrounds, God calls us to believe in Jesus and to follow him, and we can do that in a way that honors God. All right, we've got about two, three minutes. Any questions or thoughts on this first segment? I'm planning for us to finish it up next week, so don't worry that we didn't get very far. So, Any, any questions or thoughts kind of building off this idea of how circumstances and our past affects us versus our responsibility before God. I think that we need to just kind of wrap things up. I think we need to acknowledge that people, some of us, have had very difficult circumstances in the past in our lives. Um... Even in our case, when we were going through things the last year, we were having conversations with our kids, we had to say, this is really hard for you. For the one, because of a physical issue outside of her control. For the other, because life is in chaos. This is hard for you. This is hard for me. I can still please God in the midst of this. And that's the takeaway, I think, from this chapter, which we'll build on for next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to think about these things, think about your word, think about the fact that there is hope. No matter what our lives have been like, there is salvation. No matter how wicked we have been, there's a possibility of service because you use people not who are perfect, not who are impressive by the world's standards, not who have it all together, but you use people who are imperfect and broken and transformed by your grace to be in the image of Christ so that the power would be demonstrated to be from you and not from us so that the glory would not be in something that we can boast in, but in the work of Christ. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to keep these things in mind. Help us to 
even keep them in, in mind as we are encouraging and, and ministering to people today. I don't know who's going to show up here in a little while. Family, friends, strangers. Give us grace, Lord, to be a good testimony for you and to pour our hearts into presenting the truth of Jesus and who he is. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.